0: Hey everyone, I'm Greg Magershack.
1: Hi all, it's Norman Chen.
0: And this is Wrecked Podcast.
2: Hello and welcome, everybody. Uh, as you may or may not know, I'm not Bunchu. Uh, I am joined by myself, uh, Chamber. Um, for those of you listening, um, obviously uh, we're used to hearing uh, Bunchu uh, off the top. He is in the midst of, uh, of moving to New Jersey uh, in his uh, Tony Soprano-esque house as we speak. Uh, so he will be with us uh, next week. Uh, for our shows back to normal uh, he he let me take control I don't know what's gonna happen um, this might get a little crazy we might you know take our shirts off see what happens uh, but <laughs> but I am I am joined by uh, we have we have the sponsors of the show uh, on we have Greg and Norman from Intercoin I and I'm very excited to talk to these guys today we've been chatting a little bit uh, you know before the show they seem like real nice gents, uh, and I'm glad to have them on the show. Welcome, Greg and Norman. Greg, how are you doing today?
0: Awesome to be on here.
2: It is a beautiful day. Uh, I think we're in the uh, dog days of summer, to be honest. Uh, we, I, I, I see the leaves falling. Uh, you know, sweater vests are coming out, hoodies are coming out, uh, layers are, are being thrown on. Um, but uh, how, how's Norman doing today?
1: I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be with you all and talk about your to talk about, tell you all a little bit about Intercoin.
2: Yeah, we're pretty excited. Obviously, we've, we've uh, I'd say in the last, what are we going to call it, maybe month or so, there's been a pretty big resurgence in in the hype factor when it comes to cryptocurrency. Um, obviously, myself, I've been in this, this area, this arena for a few years now, um, but I would say as of late, there seems to be a little bit more of a buzz going on. Are you guys seeing that same thing too?
1: Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially around the DeFi sector with all the, the, the pace of innovation we're seeing is really just breakneck. I think we're seeing the traditional like financial system being completely reinvented piece by piece. And, like, and every day there's just like a new project coming out. So yes, it is very exciting. And I am seeing <laughs> that. Good reason.
2: It's- it sure is i was trying to explain um you know my wife is she's aware i would say of cryptocurrency she is not in crypto uh, by any means i think i sent her a few ethereum a few years ago and she'll kind of monitor that and then on her phone she'll be able to see whether things are going well or things are going not so well um but you know i i, I earlier or what day is it today wednesday i think it was maybe over the weekend I was kind of explaining to her a certain project that we were looking at, and she basically saw the life cycle of it go from you know super hype mode to you know kind of back burner, kind of old news within the span of like three days. And she's like, "It's it's it's already done." I said, "You know, it's it's done for now." Uh, and I said, "You know, this is this is kind of what's happening as of late, like you had mentioned. You know, DeFi stuff is is really popping off. Uh, NFT right now is, is seems to be the new, the new thing." Um, so yeah, it is It is pretty exciting. I, I haven't seen this much this much excitement in the space for, for a little while, uh, I would say, for sure. Um, Greg, what are, you, what are your thoughts on that?
0: I mean, I think a lot of it is uh, I'm excited to see sort of the effect of technology on society. Um, I love to have these broader narratives about how, you know, uh, people change, society changes, and we're so different than the way our parents thought and our grandparents thought. So you see these waves, you know, like I remember... Um, well I remember I was growing up. Uh, the internet uh, really people started using computers more uh, you know before I thought computers were more for you know just uh, for geeks and for playing video games right doing homework uh, but then when the internet came out, uh, people started hanging out on these social platforms and then uh, Facebook came out you know the the original um, I guess the original uh, generation was MySpace and Friendster, right? They were mm-hmm. like the first mm-hmm. ones. Those are the OGs, came, yeah. They were, exactly. In a way, I kind of feel like Bitcoin and Ethereum are like that. Um, I feel that there's a the Pioneers, you know, that came out 10 years ago. And there's something coming down the pike that's like different. And there's so many projects coming up. But I love the space. And the thing is, society very much gets affected by these things. So, for example... Um, Look at how uh, notifications and phones and Steve Jobs's iPhone affected people. Right, everyone's got one; uh, they're kind of glued to it, and they're almost like if I told people in the 90s that they're gonna be glued to their phones, right? They would look at me funny. They'd be like, "What are you talking about? A phone all the time?" But, right? You know, that
2: 100%. It's it's so strange. It's such a strange thing. And then the opposite occurs. I don't know if you guys have kids. I have a I have a seven year old. And, you know, she doesn't have a phone yet, but she, you know, she's got her iPad. She sees she sees us on her phone all the time. She sees, you know, us on her iPad all the time. To be frank, she's probably on her iPad a little too much. Um, and I explained to her that like, yeah, you know, when I was your age, there was there was no phone. Like I sound like an old man, like, oh, I used to go play outside and, you know, hang out with my friends until the streetlights came on, kind of thing. And it's it's just it's just a different thing. I would say I guess when I was her age, I was I guess addicted to my Nintendo as well um, so it's just I think at the time you're just addicted to different things um, but yeah in, in her mind imagine not having an iPad uh, to watch you know y- her YouTube shows or play video games on it is it, it's it doesn't it doesn't compute at all um, but when I when I first got into crypto I think one of the big yeah I I, it, what, I find it fascinating
0: but, like it's hard to imagine being without your electronics and yet we were, a lot of us, you know. Uh, Absolutely. I just the, Absolutely. <laughs> 37 and like throughout most of human history, people did stuff. Uh, I see that like people used to use all kinds of uh, flowery English and, and really witty turns of phrase in the 19th century because I feel like that's what they had. You know, they had pianos it, and they had English. You make do with what you got. Now everyone's Absolutely. using emojis and LOL. <laughs>
2: <laughs> You're 100% right. You're 100% right. Now, when I first got into crypto, I think one of the big... What are we were talking a little earlier about, you know, just how it's changing everything and one of the uh, one of the biggest things I really appreciate. Obviously, you know, there's there's that You know, the 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 digital dollar the the ability to transact worldwide without, you know, third parties that kind of thing. But voting was always kind of a big thing for me. Um, I just like the idea of Using a blockchain to to vote whether that's you know for for political office for even just for you know company decisions or or what have you i like the idea of voting on the blockchain have you guys kind of delved into that a little bit as well
0: oh absolutely so just to kind of lay out the uh the mission of the company um intercoin is aiming to bring crypto to the mainstream uh Mm -hmm. we feel that you know crypto has been around since you know since before bitcoin but the thing is uh crypto cryptography back then it meant cryptography not cryptocurrency right right. um it was a really useful tool it was used to secure your communication but also to sign uh, things which will become important again when there's deep fakes and you need to sign your video that's really yours and not you know a deep fake um it's going to become important again but yeah crypto plays a really important role in securing communication um again you know just talking about history a little bit pgp and that guy phil zimmerman uh, back then, the government said that uh, strong crypto was like munitions, and they regulated it. Uh, well, the guy printed it in a book and used the free speech uh, to export uh, to export his PGP code. This is to secure email. My point is, uh, crypto has been around for since a long time, but um, kind of the, the it's, there's still a huge problem, uh, and that is crypto is not being used in the mainstream. What I mean by that is, like, look around, how many people are actually using Bitcoin to pay their barber? Or pay a restaurant or pay anything, right? Right. And sort of been this thing that can only handle a few transactions per second. And uh, Ethereum similarly is now always trying to move to Ethereum 2.0 because they've kind of painted themselves into a corner with the with the blockchain. When I think of a blockchain, uh, we all think of like a bunch of transactions that's linearly ordered, right? Which one only one can happen at a time, right? And they go into these blocks, and basically. Um, that kind of consensus about what order the transactions are in is a very expensive process. And so I think voting will happen and it will happen with crypto, but I right at the outset wanna make that distinction between crypto and blockchain. And I'm not saying cryptocurrency, I'm simply saying cryptography can be used to like authenticate things and make sure that results are correct and very hard to forge, right? But on the other hand, a blockchain is just one type of data structure. There's also Merkle trees, and so on. So we actually wrote, uh, if you look at CoinDesk, uh, back in March, we um, I personally wrote a, an article on how we're going to do voting on the blockchain. Uh, but it won't be the blockchain really. I know they put that in the title, blockchain voting, but really it will be a more general uh, data structure called a Merkle tree. So things can happen at the same time rather than one at a time. And that's really important because the current state of DeFi and everything is that everything happens like one at a time. And that's just not a scalable way to do finance uh, throughout the world. So that can, you, is uh,
2: can you elaborate a little bit more on the, on the Merkle tree? and like if, if, Are there any other projects that kind of utilize that same that's- technique?
0: Absolutely. Uh, Merkle tree has been around since a long time. Ralph Merkle uh, came up with it, I think, uh, decades ago. A Merkle tree is basically where you have a bunch of uh, things, like let's say a file. You, here's a good way to think of it. Let's say you've got a file that's in front of you, and you decide, okay, I'm going to break this file into like a tree of sub files, and then those sub files are broken down further, right, into little chunks. A Merkle tree basically takes a hash of all those little chunks, called leaves of the tree, and then Mm -hmm. at every level, it takes a hash again and again, right, until it gets to the root. So if you have that root hash, the idea is you could only have obtained it if you had access to all the actual uh, leaves of the tree. So, in fact, a network that predates Bitcoin, like BitTorrent, uh, uses uh, Merkle trees to basically say, look, I'm going to pull some of the chunks of this file from here and at the same time stream some chunks from here, another server, and it pulls all of them and it knows that each chunk belongs to the file because of crypto, because there is a Merkle branch going from that Merkle uh, leaf the merkle root and all you need is that branch and then it says oh this leaf belongs to the tree so essentially you can store chunks of a file dispersed throughout the internet redundantly and it can just go and get them all and you have integrity ensured by cryptography so that's the kind of stuff that can be used for votes if someone's voting on a local level and then you aggregate the local votes right Mm-hmm. then you can aggregate the local precincts right into like a state and then you can aggregate the states into this and you've got this whole tree. So anyone who's actually got their vote, it's kind of ha- like has a leaf in that Merkle tree can go ahead and make sure that their vote has been included in the total. You see, so that's that's an important uh, property of a voting system.
2: That is very interesting. So obviously with uh, with Intercoin, uh, that that's gonna be one portion of it uh, but it seems like I would say that what the main focus is uh, utilizing a digital currency on a day-to-day basis. is. It, do I have that about right?
0: That's exactly right. So today, let me just illustrate, for, ex- for example, uh, look at Ethereum, right? Ethereum has had a huge boom in 2017, 16 and 17, right, with the ICO market. Yeah, yeah. So many people have uh, invested money into these tokens. But you would think now that all, all of this has been invested, they should be using them, Right. They should be using Filecoin and all these other things. The thing is that um, it's very hard to gain mainstream adoption if you can only handle 20 transactions per second in the entire world. So as more people try to use this thing like they are now with the DeFi boom, uh transactions can go up to twenty dollars we've seen sometimes ninety nine dollars per (laughs) transaction
2: i've been a victim of that lately i'm gonna be honest
0: (laughs) so you know so you got these weird sort of anomalies where first of all there's this bottleneck that's inherent in every global consensus mechanism whichever way it shakes out there's always this thing so in, in bitcoin and ethereum it's called the miner uh the miner is a computer that basically takes a bunch of transactions and then tr- puts them in a block and tries to secure that block by finding a certain hash, right? Mm-hmm. So that miner, if you think about it, is a huge block. Ch- it's a huge block. Uh, we often joke that the blockchain is blocked <laughs> by the blocks, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. And in other words, each transaction—it's almost like the idea is right that each transaction has to happen in isolation on mm-hmm. its own. And then you've got this weird thing now with the flash loans. Like, have you heard of the flash loan? I have. It's incredible. It's it's for the first time, because everything happens one at a time, there's sort of this idea that you can lend money absolutely without risk, except maybe the, the blockchain gets uh, forked. Right. Uh, that's another interesting thing. Uh, but anyway, these flash loans can literally concentrate millions of dollars in one block. They lend it out. And the idea is, of course, nothing else is running. Your transaction is all by itself. Nothing else in the world is running on this world computer at the time, so you can literally uh, roll back the entire transaction if you don't get your money back, and so people can go ahead and borrow millions of dollars with no collateral. They can just come out of the blue, anonymously borrow it, and then they can direct these massive amounts of money at a certain um, DeFi uh, protocol. You know, and and that could actually be very dangerous. So each protocol now is exposed 100% to these kinds of attacks. Um, and that's the consequence of having everything synchronously happen one after the other versus like happening in parallel like every other protocol on the internet. So that's uh, that's an example of consequences of design decisions that original people have made.
2: That's very interesting. Norman, I have a question for you.
1: Sure. Uh, sure.
2: All right. So I, I'm looking at some of the features for Intercoin. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we've been, we've been looking at this. And I was maybe wondering if you can help me Understand, um, you know, some of, how you guys can get to some of the features. Um, so obviously, I'm looking at the I'm looking I'm on the website currently, and you, you guys are showing, you know, Bitcoin transaction per second, Ethereum transactions per second, yeah, and yeah, an yeah. Intercoin. Now, we say here practically unlimited when it comes to transactions per second. How do we achieve that level of of speed in, in processing those transactions? sure
1: so greg touched a little bit upon already earlier but i can give you a rough overview as well so the idea is pretty much uh we don't do global consensus in intercoin right which is to say in uh existing like proof of work blockchains like uh bitcoin Mm -hmm. whenever someone makes a transaction let's say you're buying a coffee in new york and someone buys a coffee in china right all of these like transactions are put onto like a single ledger, right? right. And that's one of the big reasons why the transaction speeds for Bitcoin is like capped. And whenever, whenever there's like a lot of transactions, like people have to like wait in line pretty much right. for, for the transactions to go through, right? Now on Intercoin, what's happening is uh, we, we don't do that. There's no global consensus. And instead we opt for like local consensus. And the idea is that, let's say you're in New York, right, and you have a transaction, that transaction only goes onto the New York ledger, and you only share it with like people in your community. And the idea is that for the rare case that someone in New York needs to do like a cross border with someone in China, right, Mm -hmm. those transactions like don't happen like that often. And that's how we're able to like scale these speeds up to like a practically unlimited speed. But uh, so I do the, want to get Greg to have some input on this as well, too.
2: So I have a follow up question. Maybe Greg can answer it. Uh, sure. The listeners know I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Uh, <laughs> but um, how you had mentioned, obviously, a transaction in China versus uh, you know somebody buying a cup of coffee in China versus somebody buying a cup of coffee in New York. You know, realistically, that should not be on the same on the same ledger, but it is when it comes to Bitcoin, when it comes to Ethereum, that kind of thing. How are you able um, to regionalize those transactions? Um, obviously, like in my head, I'm like, well, if I just have a, you know, uh, a, a, a digital wallet, that in my mind, well, the, no one should know where I am in the world. Uh, is that based on IP addresses during the transaction? How, how are we getting that regional? You know what I mean? So um, that is
0: the thousand Bitcoin question, right? Um <laughs> Basically, uh, you want something to be as secure as Bitcoin and Ethereum. Security is very important, but at the same time, you want it to be scalable. You want it to be able to scale without limits. And if first of all, I want to explain that this is actually the norm on the internet. I'll tell you two words: embarrassingly parallel. If you Google that, embarrassingly parallel, you'll find Wikipedia articles. It basically means that the system is parallel without having to actually do anything. That's almost the default state of it. And in fact, most protocols on the internet, like HTTP, for the, mm-hmm. you know, powers the web, and uh, SMTP powers email, email, right? right. No one has, I don't think I've ever heard anybody ask, well, what is the limit per second that the internet, like how many emails per second can be sent, right? right. Or how many websites? And the reason is, of course, that if you add more computers, servers and clients to the network then you can send more emails mm-hmm. and why because they can all work at the same time
2: right. someone
0: in China could be sending an email to someone locally while someone in New York could be serving a website or sending an email right we don't mm-hmm. think of a bottleneck what, so why is there a bottleneck in in uh, in crypto well there's this concept called a double spend problem right the idea is that what if I go ahead and send money to someone in China but also someone to, the same coin I'll send to someone in Italy right? are they going to be able to compare notes in time, right? So to solve this problem, uh, and I, you know, I'm writing an article on this, by the way, it's uh, going to come out soon, uh, Love, you know, just to tell all the listeners to look out on intercoin.org. Uh, you can see these uh, and join our community. Um, so basically, um, we discussed these kinds of things. We have, we attracted a lot of technologists, economists, and uh, former regulators to talk about the different aspects of bringing crypto to the mainstream, and so one of the things is how do you scale? Uh, without going too much into a deep rabbit hole of how that happens, suffice it to say, there's there's three concepts here. One, the bit, the the coins, the inner coins, they don't, um, they're not divisible. So one coin, if you think of it as like a quarter mm-hmm. uh, in your hand, and it just goes and passes through uh, one to the other. So each coin maybe has a history of like a thousand people that have used it, right? right. right and then it gets taken out of circulation, let's say. So that coin is not, also second concept is that coin's not watched by the entire network. Not every full node has to keep every transaction that ever happened. So the interesting thing is that in that coin, um, is essentially it's watched by a subset of the network and there's mathematical results that show that actually the chance of a double spend goes down exponentially as you add more nodes. So you really, really get diminishing returns once you go past like 30 or 40 computers watching it. Now, here's the thing. Those computers need to rotate in and out of the consent- local consensus groups. They can't choose which coins they're going to watch. You know, It's like if you go on Hot or Not and you vote a 10. <laughs> and then you tell everybody else to vote for this person and vote for the 10, right? You shouldn't be able to do that. You should always be like watching a random person on Hot or Not, right? Exactly. Randomize. So the same way to prevent uh, collusion, you need to make sure that they can't control which coins they watch. And then, of course, the third one, and the third is the biggest thing. It's an overall principle. You need true decentralization. As I alluded to with uh, the blockchain, it's not truly decentralized if you can borrow millions of dollars and direct it, you know, into anything at any time. Uh, you're concentrating money, power, votes or whatever in one place, whether it's the, in this case, it's the miner. It's actually, an incentive for the miner to go ahead and try to mine the old block and steal the uh, the, the real. <laughs> let's say somebody gets a windfall of a million dollars. Why mine the next block? Just mine the previous block again and try to fork the blockchain, you know. Um, right. right. So there's a lot of problems with that, and and so true decentralization is when there is no central, uh, there is no bottleneck. So I really want to dig into that. Just that's the key, the key insight of Intercoin is that look, if each coin is um, is is by itself and it's being watched by thirty computers or whatever, Mm -hmm. there is going to be an ambiguity. First, so there's three steps, right? First, you need to find out which group of computers is going to watch that coin. That kind of thing has already been done in BitTorrent. It's the same question of which computers are seeding this file or this chunk of this file, right, when I pull. It's something called a distributed hash table or Uh, uh I met with the guy from NYU who invented Kademlia. It's essentially a self-rebalancing distributed hash table. And I can discuss what that is. But essentially what it does is given a specific coin or file, it'll tell you what computers on the network are responsible for it. And here's the thing. It could sometimes be inconsistent. One person could get a, a set of computers that's a little off because the computers just rotated in and out maybe one computer lost connection or something
2: mm-hmm.
0: so the way that blockchain uh, currently deals with it is they push all of the uncertainty into sort of like ultimate truth one way or the other right they basically say look it's either this chain or that chain right and, and it's massive the amount of electricity being mined on each chain is massive right. Um, And it doesn't have to be electricity. It could be proof of stake or anything. Regardless, rather than concentrating the truth in one or the other, what we do is say, look, the end user can accept the coin or not accept the coin, right? If I pay you and you see that there's a little bit of ambiguity right now as to who the coin belongs to, you could just tell me, look, just use another coin for now. It's kind of like when you pay with a credit card and it doesn't go through, right? There's a certain point at which you say, look, uh, I'm just going to pay with another credit card and I'm going to deal with this later, right? And the way we deal with it is that later on, the consistency comes back. Once you know, let's say you've got a b- bunch of malicious uh, actors who just compromise the consensus locally of a coin, or whatever. Fine, that's no problem because after a while they'll be replaced by the system with other uh, actors. And in the meantime, you just don't use the coin as much. So it's sort of the co- the, cont- the continuous. Go- we call it a green, yellow, and red, like the continuous uh, degradation of the uh, of the. Um, confidence that you have in whether the coin belongs to you it shouldn't be pushed up into the giant consensus global consensus of everything rather it should be pushed down into each individual user's uh decision to whether to accept this uh coin and by the way this also works for smart contracts and other general purpose computation It's like hey do i accept the results of this uh, chess game or do i think something's been a little off so i'm not even going to like touch it uh that's the kind of difference that Intercoin has and of course by getting rid of the global consensus, everyone can act at the same time. There is no center and there is no limit on, on how many people can use this kind of thing.
2: That is very fascinating. Obviously, we can tell uh, with your background uh, that you uh, you seem to know what you're talking about. So that is... Um, the, the mathematics behind that is very impressive. Um, obviously, this is completely... This is completely different than what we're used to seeing are there any other projects that are comparable to intercoin uh, out there currently or is this something kind of completely on its own
0: yes uh we like to say that intercoin takes some of the best ideas from the last 10 years uh last five years so products like for example made safe if you mm-hmm. go and look up the safe network they're now called they started in 2006 um i they're out of scotland uh, we're in touch with that team, for example. I spoke to many people at Ripple and uh, Madesafe and on other projects as well, um, some original Bitcoin developers. So if you look at Madesafe and Holochain is another one, um, yep. they're kind of moving yep. away from blockchain and they're moving towards these, as I say, embarrassingly parallel systems that absolutely don't require any central authority or, se- or miner or any bottleneck at all. Uh, and uh, the other thing I do want to say about that, there's economic uh, takeaways from this. If each coin is not divisible and you have these small coins, well, then, of course, to transfer large amounts, it's unnatural to, to, to send billions of dollars with a $20 uh, transaction fee is something you can do when, when you have a blockchain. But here right. you would actually have a proportional uh, cost. So it might be 1%. Or you might have, you know, a free tier of like, you could do this many transactions per day, uh, per account or whatever in the community. But the point is that it's proportional. The transaction fees are proportional to the amount rather than, yeah. yeah. That makes sense. So that's a consequence of being totally distributed because you you get a feeling for it. When something's totally distributed, uh, there's no concentration of power anywhere. Um, And so you don't have the idea of, one transaction running in the world right and doing flash loans you don't have the idea of all the votes in one place where they can be leaked or stolen um and 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 so that's the point the point is to become truly decentralized and not just um you know sort of like secure bitcoin is secure surely but it's uh you can have mining pools and you can have all this kind of stuff right you know
2: well i mean we we talk about it fairly frequently with spe- specifically with bitcoin with the mining like the 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 monopoly that some of these mining pool have on on bitcoin is is pretty you know i mean you could probably name three or four major mining pools that really take take up 80, 80 plus percent of the miners out there right so it's uh it's absolutely it can absolutely be centralized
0: it can absolutely be and look i'll give a disclaimer i'll say that any system uh, always tends to, to centralize to a point when <laughs> people discover their strength in numbers, right? This is how states form. This is how commonwealths form companies. <laughs> Unions. And so, of course, <laughs> working together is obviously, you know, uh, you, you you don't waste resources working fighting each other, right? Absolutely. Um, and so the only thing we can ever hope for is at the highest levels that we have, you know, three branches of government that, Are incentivized to sort of fight each other and and do checks and balances. uh, That sort of—I didn't think that was
2: happening currently in the United States. Uh, I like to pick on them a lot, obviously being from Canada. Do do we still have checks and balances in the in the U.S.? Is that still a thing? Oh, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Don't get me started. (laughs) You know, but that's that's the at least that's the hope is that the system won't get corrupted by essentially collusion between the highest uh, uh, concentrations of power. Right. That's really what corrupts the system. Is exactly. Yeah.
2: So, obviously, I uh, we have uh, we have a pre-sale going on right now, a token pre-sale for Intercoin. Uh, as of right now, there is seven days, eight hours, and 24 minutes remaining. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the pre-sale?
0: I can guarantee you there will be less than 24 minutes after this podcast is over. Can
2: you there will <laughs> Yes, there will be. <laughs> um-
0: Yeah, so the presale. So we are uh, complying with all US regulations. Uh, You know, being a US company, uh, we need to uh, essentially, we needed to deal with this. And this is a whole other layer of, uh, of adoption, right, is what do you do? It's not as bad as people think, because in the last three years, again, there has been a lot of disclosure by the SEC. Uh, just like with the Jobs Act, it takes them years to do anything. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in 2019, they put out uh, no action letters uh, for two companies, uh, Turnkey Jet and uh, Pocketful of Quarters, about utility tokens, how they're not going to recommend enforcement action. Right. Um, there's also uh, FinCEN and FINRA, and there's all these other uh, state-level regulators and everything. So you got to be careful with the U.S. because... Um, They're just not ready for blockchain, as many other countries have overhauled their, you know, regulations, like Switzerland and uh, and even uh, Singapore. So, what we've done is we've issued Intercoin. Intercoin is essentially uh, a currency that, well, it's not a current. It it, it, is supposed to be a a bridge currency between communities. So, let me kind of give you an overview of what it's supposed to be, uh, and then I can briefly touch on what the regulatory uh, landscape is like. Sure. Sure so it inner coin is supposed to be the base money the gold of the economy uh of of inner coin you can think of like let's say um the 19th century uh, free banking era okay mm-hmm. so banks had gold in their vaults and then they issued uh uh banknotes right to their local communities and so uh what are the banknotes kind of um if you wanted to go from bank to bank you could take the gold and move it, or you could exchange banknotes on some kind of exchange. But the idea is that the banknotes are backed by the gold, and the gold is kind of, uh, you know, represents the uh, the backing of the banknotes. So there's a, there's a bit of a symbiotic relationship between them. Uh, so that's the same way. Intercoin is the base money, and then any community can buy Intercoin, you know, from you or from whoever, uh, buy, the, buy it, and then uh, use it to issue its own currency. So let's say you've got a festival or a university or whatever and now people are buying tickets to your festival or they're enrolling in your university or whatever. You may want to give issue your own currency, right? So like festival bucks or university bucks. And you may want to do something like UBI. So Norman could talk about this a little bit is that uh there's all these movements now, mayors for a guaranteed income, Andrew yep. Yang, you know, all Yay, of this
2: That's the financial innovation that we can power.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'll get to that, but I just wanted to say this. We first need the technology to power all this. And so Intercoin is focused on community-wide applications. You know, people are thinking right now of peer-to-peer payments with Bitcoin. And they're thinking of smart contracts and enforcement with with Ethereum. But the next level is community-wide fintech applications like UBI, Right, Like a consumer price index that just lets the community know look, this is the price of food and it's been spiking in the last you know, week or so, and, and so on. Community governance with voting. And all these things are only possible if you get away from global consensus. So, Intercoin is essentially saying look, buy the tokens that are going to be bought by communities. And community is a very, it could mean anything. It could be a community of poets, it could be a project researching a drug. It could be a forum. And so these communities then issue their own currencies backed by Intercoin. And what Intercoin does, like what Norman mentioned, is when you go between communities, it seamlessly lets you just sit in Paris, look at your menu, everything's in dollars, and then go ahead and pay. And you don't have to worry about anything. Intercoin simply settles the uh, the balances between Paris and New York, uh, you know, Periodically, let's say, right. uh, so that's sort of. So you go ahead to intercoin.org. Uh, you buy the, the the base money now, and then what happens is we launch the network. And I should also mention one more thing, is that intercoins my second company. We have eight million users uh, already downloaded community applications uh, on my first company. Uh, we attracted eight million users that download our apps to engage with their uh, Friends and communities. So we already have the user base, uh, and now we're we're building a payment uh, network on top of our existing uh, social network that has, out of the eight million, I would say about one point five million people have have kept our apps. So we don't we're not hurting for user adoption. We just no kidding. (laughs) Yes.
2: Wow. So with with Intercoin, obviously so we have we have the pre-sale that's going to be ending in just over a week what are the next steps after after this is all done what uh what are what are kind of the next steps in the roadmap
1: i mean greg do you want to talk about like the cities and like pilot projects or
2: yeah that's probably a good place (laughs) to take it
1: Uh, Sure.
0: sure there's a city in illinois um where people uh who are you know, involved over there with, uh, they've collected a fund of about ten million dollars, and they're looking to do, uh, they're looking to disburse that fund in a UBI kind of way. Okay. Uh, in that city, the idea is reparations for people that have been affected negatively by policies in the city because the fund was collected from cannabis taxes. So they say, well, people that you know went to jail for for drug enforcement and so on. Sure. Uh, they want to, yes, yeah, so they want to, you know, do kind of. Uh, help them and and so here's the thing if this was a normal UBI uh, as cities are now doing with the mayor of Stockton California and everyone wants to do a UBI it's big resurgence right now in Spain and South Africa and other places Um, the way UBI is normally done is you just give the federal currency to the people right you kind of just give like give them money and the problem with that is the city's fund gets depleted and then they go and buy things on Amazon on eBay right the the stores, they pay their suppliers in, you know, other countries uh, and so on. You know, dividends are paid to shareholders. The money leaves the city. And we've seen this over and over in Detroit and other places, right? Intercoin is a very strong social impact mission, right? If you go to our forum at community.intercoin.org, you'll find a lot of people that are passionate about social impact. It's not enough to just have digital gold. You know, gold exists. It didn't help poor people that the fact that gold exists right we need more than that so can we build community applications into the currency completely voluntarily no taxation with force but rather kind of like you accept visa payments because even though you lose three percent on merchant fees and whatever you it's the convenience right it's the network effect. correct so the same <laughs> excuse me the same way that uh, that happens. Imagine if the city was able to issue its own currency, and many cities have done this already. You know, Disney dollars. Disney is pretty much a private city, Disney World. Um, <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> you know, but you've also seen casinos do it. But you also have cities like um, Ithaca, New York, with the Ithaca Hours, and you've got um, the Berkshires in Connecticut. Do Berkshires? I don't know if some of your listeners have heard of this. Um, many cities in uh, in uh, England have done it like uh, Brighton pounds and Bristol pounds. So the idea is your city is in a good position, your university or whatever, to issue its own currency and to let other vendors around the area start accepting local currency. So the project is to launch your local currency first. And you can go on the website and read all about how the, you know how the roadmap works. But the idea is once you've got the local currency circulating and being accepted by vendors. In the beginning, they all cash it out. Just like when PayPal first came out, people would accept a PayPal payment and then they would cash it out, right? Mm -hmm. But because there is a hit that you take, maybe a 10% hit on cashing out, um, it's a disincentive to cash out. And so merchants are incentivized to say, you know what, employees, can we pay some of your salary in this currency, right? Uh, We'll give you like a bonus or whatever and so the idea is that you know it's just like when you told your friend hey would you like to be paid in Bitcoin or hey would you like to be accept PayPal and create an account right it's that so it creates that viral incentive to spread the currency throughout your community and what you notice is that the currency never really leaves the community. Okay, it's kind of like going to a country where no one speaks English and speaking English, right? No one's going to understand you. Mm -hmm. Um, So the same way you don't take a casino chip outside of the casino and go into like another another, you know, city and try to use it. The currency only works because of a local network effect. That's really, really important because that network effect is what gives any currency really its value. Okay, The value of a currency is only insofar as someone else will take it when it's time for me to buy something. right? So, so that's where inherently the value of a currency comes from, and that network effect is concentrated in that community. So what we help when we talk to Intercoin working with cities is we talk about how can we design a way to help the city to create that currency network effect. Because when they do that, then they can print more of it, and they can democratically run their monetary policy and then they can use the governance and the voting and the polling, random polling actually, to, to say, should the UBI level go up by 1% or down by 1% and kind of the, it's almost like democratically governing your own money supply and all of a sudden, even if there's a recession around you and the money supply is shrinking fe- on, federally in the federation, guess what, locally, that, that barber, that plumber is still gonna come over and fix your leak because there's a money supply in the local area. And the other thing it does is it helps people buy local. They pay the local plumber. They pay the local landlord. They, they buy food that's grown locally and sourced locally. So that's another very important thing. And it helps align people's incentives with, like, essentially um, – the kind of things that you want to promote, which is, you know, local, less less fossil fuels used and so on. So right. that's really the social impact of our project.
2: That's very interesting too. I, I never really thought, of, you, you brought up PayPal earlier and I, I never, I've I never made the connection, but you're 100% correct. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of us deal with PayPal today. And once the money is in the PayPal system, it's it's, I always think about, I always think of it as, you know, you know, Standard currency, USD, CAD, whatever country you're in. But realistically, it is PayPal dollars. You know, it's PayPal USD or it's PayPal CAD because you're typically going to keep that within the same community. You're going to use it to pay for PayPal expenses, and it's very rare that I take out PayPal dollars now. It just kind of stays within within the ecosystem. Um, so that that's very interesting. Um, and you're right. Yeah, these things become these local currencies or these these you know kind of segregated currencies
0: important because if you ask the question of where does our money supply come from and by money I mean the thing that you actually use when you take it out of your wallet to pay for that thing that you just bought right mm-hmm. that money typically comes from a bank a privately or publicly held uh, corporation it doesn't come from the US government uh, only about five percent of our money is printed by the Treasury and the base money um, in fact this year fun fact the Fed lowered the fractional reserve requirements yes, to I zero.
2: Know. zero <laughs> i'm sure it'll be fine i'm sure that'll be, i'm sure that'll work out just, just perfectly <laughs> i mean i'm not an
0: expert on monetary <laughs> policy you know I, i've take, been taking a crash course for three years but i will say <laughs> we live in interesting times the fed claims it claims that it has trouble creating inflation and they want to create some so uh you know, it, yeah, it, it's a tough time. There's, a, there's There's been a monetary contraction because of uh, people losing jobs. It, everything's being, you know, shaken up. And that's the kind of thing where Bitcoin started, right? The kind of environment mm-hmm. Bitcoin started was exactly the kind of uh, printing by the elites. So, yep. so I, this is what I want to say. The bank underwriters decide who will get the money, which business will be a winner or a loser. If you get the loan and you get the bailout, then you're a winner. If you don't, you can go bankrupt and you're on your own. That's the current system. With a UBI, people vote with their wallet from everyday necessities, rent, food, etc. If you provide those things, that's a form of capitalism that caters to every person almost equally. There's a democratic aspect to the fact that everyone wakes up with an equal amount of money, maybe a small amount, but they're equally able to, to vote with their wallet for what it is that they want and that way we can actually promote the things that people actually need that most people actually need so UBI could be very useful and people don't think of it that way but you can almost think of it as a money issuance mechanism uh, a democratic one you know
2: that's uh, yeah that's very very interesting so we're, uh, we're at about the 45-minute mark here uh, are there any other things we want to touch on before we move on to the kind of the next segment well, i'd love
0: to encourage everyone listening to if you like what you hear and this is just scratching the surface if you want to see below the iceberg go to intercoin.org and put in your email address you'll join our community and you know we have a uh, normally talk about we have a show coming out that we want to talk about how these things actually work under the scenes uh, behind the scenes and we also have an app coming out so if you want to talk about DeFi and solutions that bring crypto to the masses. Uh, a mass adoption definitely go to intercoin.org and put in your email so we can uh, put you on the list and, and actually get
2: you involved that's all i would like to say about that so, so for those list- so f- for those listeners we're gonna have obviously we're gonna have the uh, intercoin.org link in the show notes uh if you listen to the past uh maybe i want to say half a dozen shows uh you'll see that in the notes there as well take a peek uh just pop your email address in and let intercoin do the rest
0: absolutely so yeah I mean that's what there's so much there's so much out there and Bitcoin and Ethereum like I said there's like the MySpace and Friendster I think they did a great job of of bringing this particular um, uh, you know just like social networking was a field this is a field right but I think we're gonna move beyond blockchain and we're gonna we're gonna have so many cool solutions and Intercoin is just one of those projects Uh, so yeah it's gonna be a a cool ride I'll say (laughs)
2: that's awesome so okay before we before we let you guys go we always love to kind of get a little background on our guests have a little fun you know we can talk we can talk mathematics we can talk political strategies we could t- all that fun stuff but we we like to we like to have a little fun here at the end um our our, our listener base knows uh you know they're gonna get a little they're gonna get some some information some intelligent information but they're gonna get some shenanigans as well to go along with that we're gonna sure. play a little bit of uh, we're gonna play a little rapid-fire with okay. you. Okay. <laughs>
1: all
2: go. right so I'm just gonna ask you some questions you just answer it uh, as as quickly and as honestly as you can so Norman um, we'll, we'll start off with an easy one here uh, is, I always say it's an easy one but it's kind of a difficult one. But What's your favorite movie?
1: Oh, favorite movie. That actually yeah. is kind of tough. It is a tough uh, question.
2: We can we can break it down. We can say favorite comedy, we can say favorite horror yeah, movie. Yeah, I got to
1: say I got to say The Departed, but it's uh it's the one that Departed is based on. It, there, it's if you, if you know the movie, it's actually based on like a uh, uh it's based on a Hong Kong flick. So
2: Really? That so, original so, so you're one saying is the one. You're saying not the departed but the the movie the departed was based on.
1: Yes, that's the Amazing. one. Amazing. That's a great, that's a great it. answer. Yeah.
2: Great answer. Um all right, Greg, I got one for you. Um you seem to be a a a, a worldly man. What's your favorite novel?
0: Ooh, my favorite novel. Um uh, that's a tough one actually i i want to say war and peace but i have i didn't finish it
2: <laughs> so uh, that's a tough one you only got through the war you didn't finish, finish the peace, peace part.
0: part yeah exactly
2: Still <laughs> <reading>. <laughs> all, right. all right so we're getting close to uh we're getting close to halloween we're getting close to october uh i am a big fan of halloween i'm a big fan of scary things and fun stories um here on rec podcast we always like to talk about uh we're not too crazy on it but uh, we always like to talk about conspiracy theories and spooky stuff. Uh, Norman, do you have a favorite conspiracy theory that you kind of that that kind of tickles you in a way that uh, you kind of uh, look into a little bit more?
1: Oh yeah, I would have to say uh, I would have to say it's all the Hillary Clinton conspiracy theories. Oh,
2: that's yeah, that's a- so
1: there's so many. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like the one I like the one where it's like. Uh, I like the one where people say like Benghazi was an inside job, and like she had like connections to like Saudi like arms dealers or something like that.
2: They are yeah.
1: They
2: they are always pretty interesting. I um uh, I, I don't follow it too close, but I always thought the hill the the Hillary hill or the uh, Hillary kill list. <laughs> uh, I always thought that one was fairly interesting. I'm like, Ooh. Yeah. well, especially when there's like a little. You you, you kind of look at it and you're like. Maybe a little something there. I don't know. It seems to be a little. Uh, it seems to be a little suspicious. But I've been. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I'll make a recommendation for you guys. If you if you're into kind of uh, weird anomalous stuff, is uh, on Amazon Prime. I've been watching these um, missing four one one documentaries, and it is. It has consumed my uh, my free time to 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 great extents. Uh, essentially, what it is is there's these weird uh, cases of missing people—people people going missing in natu- uh, in uh, national parks across North America. A lot of them uh, are obviously in the U.S., like Yosemite. Um, you know, the the in the in the in the Rockies, in the uh, you know, in in the Smoky in the Great Smoky Mountains, that kind of thing. And it's just these weird disappearances where you'll find nothing, or they'll find they'll find the person like sometimes it's like kids and they're they've been missing for you know maybe two days and they're 12 miles from where they were uh you know from where they originally lost Perfectly fine. They have no idea what happened to them. Um, it's very strange stuff. Um, you know, you, you've kind of taken out kidnapping. You've taken out a lot of the the traditional answers, and you're really left scratching your head. So, if you're into that kind of conspiracy stuff coming to this time of year, if you have Amazon Prime, I highly recommend checking out uh, Missing Four One One because it'll leave your head scratching for sure all right guys we'll uh we'll tie it we'll 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 tie up uh the loose ends there uh i want to give you guys another moment just to uh let us know where uh we can follow you on social media uh obviously uh, i believe intercoin has its own um twitter account at
1: yeah so we have intercoin on linkedin we have intercoin on twitter we have intercoin on facebook and uh yeah i mean i don't i don't think there's any like duplicate organizations where i don't think there's like any way you can get confused just like type intercoin to the search bar and then like the one that comes up with like our logo is that's the that's one The one to follow so, yeah so, the
0: telegram channel but i would highly highly encourage everybody just to go to intercoin.org and put in your email because our online community using the web is the most open uh most accessible community so you know if you're in the spirit of not being locked into Twitter or Facebook, uh, walled gardens, definitely come uh, to our own forum, uh, community.intercoin.org.
2: Yeah, you guys have your own self-sustaining um, kind of chat in in on the website itself, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. We have a forum where it's like, because uh, typically on Twitter you can't like post things that are like too in depth. Right. So we made like our own community forum. You can get a little bit more. You get a little bit more meat in the content. Nice. Yeah.
2: Nice. So we'll encourage you guys all to uh, to check that out. Um, do you guys have uh, personal Twitter accounts that we can tag uh, for the show so that people can follow you on Twitter? Yeah. At Greg Mozart. At Greg, at Greg. Mozart. And what uh, about you, Norman?
1: I'm at Norman Chen. So Chen is spelled Q-I-A-N.
2: Perfect. We will have those in the show notes as well. So if anybody wants to follow Greg or Norman, uh, they can do so. Guys, I just want to say thank you very much for, uh, for coming on the show. I, I had a blast. Super informative. Um, really uh, really kind of opened my eyes on the possibilities for Intercoin. Um, It was great getting to know you guys. Um, and until next time, don't get wrecked. And that is financial advice.